We are calling this Jubilee. It's what's for dinner. We're going to be in Luke chapter 14, and I'm going to go ahead and we're going to begin reading. And I'm going to begin reading at verse 12, and we're going to go all the way down through basically verse 24. Then we're going to step back and we're going to ask ourselves, what is going on? And if I am a little clumsy with my new Bible, because that's what this is, my old Bible was a third of this size, so this feels like I'm carrying a brick around, and I'm still trying to find things in my Bible. Y'all ever like that? You buy a new Bible and you can never find. It's not where it's supposed to be. So I'm still doing that. But anyway, we're in Luke chapter 14, and I'm going to begin reading at verse 12. He, that is Jesus, said also to one who had, to the one who had invited him, When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors in case they may invite you in return, and you would be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous." One of the dinner guests, on hearing this, said to him, Blessed is anyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Then Jesus said to him, Someone gave a great dinner and invited many. At that time, at the time that the, for the dinner, he sent out his slave to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a piece of land, and I must go out and see it. Please accept my regrets. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm going to check them out. Please accept my regrets. Another said, I have just been married, and therefore I cannot come. So the slave returned and reported this to the master. And then the owner of the house became angry. Became angry. And said to his slave, Go out at once to the streets and to the lanes of the town and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And the slave said, Sir, what you've ordered has already been done, and there is still room. Then the master said to the slave, Go out into the roads and to the lanes and compel people to come so that my house may be filled. For I tell you that none of those who were invited will taste my dinner. What a interesting parable, is it not? Jubilee, it's what's for dinner. Jubilee. I, 
I grew up singing about that, but I really didn't know much about it. It is actually one of the more important themes in Scripture. And even though we are a back-to-the-Bible people and sometimes we want to call Bible things by Bible names, sometimes we don't know what is really important in the Bible. Is that true? Sometimes we don't. I grew up thinking that uh, the Sabbath day was a bad thing, and I was just so glad that Jesus came and got rid of it. Anybody else ever had that kind of impression? Even though the Jubilee is, in fact, the Sabbath of Sabbaths. And what I didn't know was the Sabbath is very much a gift of grace. And it's a foundational pillar for Jesus' ministry. And that's what's going on in Luke chapter 14. The Sabbath day, you'll notice that this particular parable was told on the Sabbath day. We learn that in chapter 14 verse 1 when Jesus is invited to dinner. He's invited to dinner. We all know that Jesus in the next chapter, in chapter 15, verses 1 and 2, that some people get on to him because he goes out and he eats with the tax collectors and the sinners. You remember all that. But the chapter before that, chapter 14, verse 1, we learn that Jesus is an equal opportunity offender. He goes and he has dinner with the Pharisees. He is at a Pharisee's house on the Sabbath day, when this particular parable is told, in fact, Jesus goes there on the Sabbath day, and a person with dropsy, who is a servant serving in the house, is, and I, you know, I really didn't know what dropsy was. That's what it says in the New RSV, you know, and it's not a life threatening thing. It makes you hurt, it does some other stuff. But here you have a person who is suddenly there and they are not in the condition that God created them. And what does the Sabbath do? This is the audience participation part. What does the Sabbath celebrate? Oh, we are Church of Christ people. The Sabbath celebrates the creation of the world. And when God created the world, it was what? Very good. There was no pain, no suffering, no, no fighting, no people without. There was no pecking order in society. There was no man over woman, woman under man. There was no slaves. And this person who has dropsy has a slave and Jesus even is talking to a slave. There's none of that in the creation on the seventh day, you have a person who is hurting. A person who is being affected by the degradation of God's wonderful, beautiful, glorious creation. And you've got the Son of Man standing right in front of him. And he says to this man with dropsy, he heals him. And they all said, oh, what's going on? And so Jesus asked him, if you have a child or if you have an animal. Notice that Jesus mentions the animal there in chapter 14, verse 2. Because on the Sabbath day, Exodus chapter 20, the Sabbath day is not just for people, brothers and sisters. The Sabbath day is for everybody. It's for the rich, the poor. It's for the males and the females. It is for the owners and the non-owners. And it is for your oxen and your animals. The Sabbath day is the great equalizer. 
everybody gets a break on the Sabbath. Because on that day, you get to rest and relax in the goodness of the Creator God. And here you have a person who is not in the condition that God intended them. And Jesus healed them on the Sabbath day. He delivered them. He forgave them. He saved them. Saved them. And then Jesus tells a story. He's at a dinner. In fact, he tells three stories. He's at a dinner. He's at a banquet in somebody else's house. And he sees other guests jockeying for position. Jockeying for position. Some moving up. And he says, you know what? If you go to somebody's house, don't, don't pick the seat that's right next to the, to the big guy. Go sit way over there on the opposite side. So if he wants to honor you, he tells you to come on up. And then, and then everybody sees. And what you have there is the principle that's all through the Gospel of Luke is that the first shall be last and the last shall be first. And what is that, brothers and sisters? That is the Sabbath day. There's no pecking order on the Sabbath day. There's no kings and queens. There's no slaves on the Sabbath day. What a wonderful thing the Sabbath day was. And like so many things that God has given us, we religious people twist into something that it's not. Is that true? This is, again, the audience participation part. I had three cups of coffee before I got here, so y'all better start talking up. It, uh, we do that. Then Jesus gets to this one. After he mentions that there's no pecking order. You want to be honored, you let the host say, hey, I want you to sit closer to me. And then everybody recognizes who you are. But if you get in somebody else's seat and the host says, hey, that's for somebody else, suddenly you are what? Embarrassed. And so one of the guests says, well, blessed is anyone who can eat bread in the kingdom of God. Well, Jesus has been talking about the kingdom of God. You can't talk about the kingdom of God without talking about the Sabbath, and you can't talk about the kingdom of God without talking about Jubilee. Go all the way back to the Hebrew Bible, that is the Old Testament, where we've spent quite a bit of time at Eastside. You find this text in the book of Leviticus. It is the year of Jubilee. It is the great equalizer. I read a story two weeks ago about a family in Iowa. They have been farmers, owned the same land for 165 years in that particular family. Now, for some families over in the Middle East and other places, even like in Europe, I've got a friend that lives in Bavaria, and her family has lived on the same property. They're vintners in Bavaria, and their, her family has been on that property for over 300 years. That's a long time. But here in the United States, especially if you are Anglo and you're not Native American, and you can claim that this particular piece of property has been in my family for 160, almost 170 years. That's a long time. But because of the crash 
that has taken place and the way the economy has tanked and because some people were loaning out money that was, well, there's all kinds of strings attached to this money. That they are losing their land. Now, this is what happens in the year of Jubilee. What the year of Jubilee does says, you know, sometimes things happen. Sometimes things happen, and it's beyond your control. It's not that these people were irresponsible. It's not that these people were just, just sinners. Things just happened, and they lost their land. That's what Leviticus chapter 25 is all about. But in the year of Jubilee, in the 50th year, you want to know what happens? Well, what happens in the year of Jubilee? They cancel the debt. And number two, whatever you lost, the land in your, pro your family, even though you, it was your grandfather, lost it, you get to go back. Granddad may have been dead 30 years ago, 40 years ago. And all of a sudden, those who have accumulated great, great masses of wealth and those who are now in slavery are suddenly what? Equal. Jubilee is God's great reset button. The Gospel of Luke begins this way. When somebody who's lowly, poor, little girl, she's already got several strikes against her. Number one, she is a Jew. She's in a conquered land. Number two, she's a woman. That's strike number two. Number three, she is just abject poor. She describes herself as one of the lowly people. And suddenly, some angel appears to her and says, Hey, you know what? You're going to have a baby. That was not good news. Okay? Woman getting married or pregnant out of wedlock. That's bad even in church Christ. But can you imagine that in the first century Jewish culture? Hey, God's my father. God, God made me pregnant. I've talked to more than one elder who has had that happen in my church where a teenage girl got pregnant at the age of 14. And the elders didn't believe her when she said the Holy Spirit made it happen. Are y'all with me? But she says something. I want you to see this. Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. And I'm going to begin with verse 52. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. Who is the lowly? Mary, the poor, the crippled, the blind, the aliens, the slaves, the women. And he has filled the hungry with good things, and he sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, according to the promises that he made to our ancestors, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then the next thing you know, the text that was read around the Lord's Supper here, Jesus is there on the Sabbath day. In the synagogue. And he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me for this reason. This is Jesus' purpose. The reason Jesus came isn't so that you and I can die and go to heaven. 
Jesus came so he could set God's creation free. Jubilee is God's great reset button. God sent me into this world. He anointed me with the Holy Spirit for a mission. And the mission is, as he says, to bring good news to who? The poor. The tokos. They're the poor. The tokos. They are literally poor. He sent me to proclaim release to the captives. That word release right there in Luke chapter 4 is the word that's in Acts 2.38. Y'all remember that word, right? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, for the what? For the forgiveness. For the liberty. For the setting the captives free. Because that's what Jubilee does. That's what Sabbath does. Because Sabbath in the Bible isn't just remembering that the world came from God and it was very good. Deuteronomy chapter 5, after those slaves came out of Egypt, what happens in Deuteronomy 5? He says, you shall honor this day and it's going to be for you, your maidservant, your manservant, for your ox and for your, for your ass and for your, your slaves and for your males and your females because you were slaves. You will remember this. So the Sabbath day celebrated the creation of the world where everything was okay. And the Sabbath day celebrates the day that God set the captives free. So you got creation and you got redemption. That's what the Sabbath day is. And Jesus on the Sabbath day is eating with somebody whose life has it all together. And you got somebody who shows up for through no fault of their own, they have dropsy. Jesus gave them a jubilee moment. I have set you free. That's why God sent me here. And then he looks at him. He says, on the Sabbath day, if your child fell in, wouldn't you help him? And if your ox fell in the ditch, you wouldn't wait to get them out. Why? Because on the Sabbath day, the Sabbath is for the animals. Humans aren't even better than the animals on the Sabbath day. God makes it all equal. You see, this is grace, brothers and sisters. We like grace when it's all me, but sometimes grace means I surrender my privilege for somebody else's benefit. That's what Jesus did. He surrendered his privilege for other people's benefit. And who is that other people? That is me. Me. So he tells this person in Luke chapter 14, he says, you know, instead of having a luncheon and everybody fighting over their positions, what you really ought to do, if you're going to be a kingdom person, if you're going to be a jubilee person, is instead of inviting people like me, and Jesus himself is kind of poor, he says in the Gospel of Luke that he, you know, everybody else has got a place to stay, but the Son of Man doesn't even have a place. He doesn't even have a house. You remember that, right? But he says, you know, what you, what you would really do 
since it's the Sabbath day, and this is the Sabbath of Sabbaths, you would do what the Sabbath day is all about. You would go find those people who need to be healed because they're in a state that God didn't intend them. You would redeem them because they are in a state because of something that has happened in their life. That's what you would do. So that is people, like the man with dropsy, you would find people who are poor. You would find people who are crippled. You'd find people who are lame. You'd find people who are blind. And that sounds an awful lot like the people Jesus said he was sent to in Luke chapter 4, does it not? And then, so he says, the, the, one of the guests says, well, you know, blessed is anyone who comes and, and they get to eat the bread from the kingdom, in the kingdom of God. And Jesus says, yo, well, in the Hebrew Bible, <clears throat> eating in the presence of God is a big deal. In fact, it happens all the time. Sometimes we just, we just miss it. In fact, when the children of Israel came out of the land of Egypt, first thing that God did was institute a feast. And it's called the Passover feast. And the Passover feast is not this little bitty cracker that we got. Jesus would have no idea what this is. None. Jews know how to eat and feast. Have you ever been to a Passover? You're eating for three and a half hours. And by the time you get done, you know, I understand why Peter and John and all those guys, when it was all said and done, that they went out and they fell asleep. Because when I go to Thanksgiving and I have turkey and a couple of beers, I fall asleep too. How about y'all? And they ate and they ate and they had four mugs of wine. Oh, and so not only did Jesus or God institute this wonderful feast, because you're supposed to eat and drink with God. Well, there in Exodus chapter 24, right after they get the Ten Commandments, when we learn about the Sabbath day, Moses and Aaron and Nadab and Abihu, we've heard about those guys before. They went up on the mountain in Exodus chapter 24, and it says that God invited them to come up, and they ate and they drank in the presence of the Lord. This is verses 11, 12, 13, and 14. You may not have read it before, but it's been there for 3,000 years. And it says they ate and they drank in the presence of the Lord, and they saw the God of Israel while they're eating. And that's the very text that Jesus quotes when he's sitting at the table, the Passover feast. And he says, this is the blood of the covenant. He's quoting that text where they're eating and drinking in the presence of the Lord. So here this Pharisee is a wonderful student of Scripture. He knows that when things are supposed to be redeemed and the world is set right, that we are going to eat. Blessed is the one who gets to eat food. That's what the word bread means. Gets to eat food in the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus doesn't dispute this. What a blessing it is. What a blessing it is. Oh, that brings to mind texts like Isaiah chapter 25 and Isaiah 55 and other texts where it says, they're going to eat and drink on my holy mountain. And it is the Lord who has this mighty, great banquet. Oh, it is the kingdom of God. And when you are eating and drinking and celebrating, it's because things are the way they're supposed to be. Amen? <clears throat> Jubilee is the way things are supposed to be. And so Jesus tells another story, another parable. 
while he's eating at this Pharisee's house, and he knows that all these guys know everything I just said to you. He says, you know, there was a person, someone, who had a great feast. Well, who might that be? We just mentioned the kingdom of God, right? Who, who hosts great feast? God does. God does. He has people, and he says, I want you to come eat with me. If I got an invitation, you pick out the worst president that you can think of that you personally don't like, okay? Let's say it's Warren G. Harding, okay? Warren G. Harding. Warren G. Harding invites us over for dinner, you know? It's the president of the United States. Who cares? You're going, right? You're going. You don't say, well, you know what? I had a flat today. Uh, I bought a tree out there. I'm going to go, and I'm going to go look at my tree. I bought a couple oxen. You know, I think I'm going to go check them out. The only one that even comes close to a real excuse here is the dude that says, I just got married. I just got married. Now, I can understand that. I'm not married, but I was married, and so if my, my ex-wife would have told me we're not going somewhere on that particular day we're doing this, I probably would have done that. So this dude, he's probably checked with his wife and said, you know, this is not on my calendar. So he's got an excuse. But for the owner of the feast, that was not a good enough excuse because of who has invited you. And so, they all said, no, can't come. I can't come to this place where grace has been extended. And so, the owner tells the, sl the slave to go and invite the people Jubilee rescues. What I want you to do, he says, find the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And I want you to remember what it said up there in verse 12 and 13. It says, invite, if you invite your friends, if you invite your family, if you invite a wealthy person, they can repay you. Does your Bible say that? They, they will invite you back. They will repay you. If you're doing something to get repaid, this has nothing to do with grace. Jubilee obliterates that. The people with the stuff are going to lose the stuff. The people with no stuff are going to get a lot of stuff. And it's going to be equal. And there's going to be people with lots of stuff who are not going to be happy about that. I can assure you. Well, this has been in my family for 35 years. Well, Jubilee's coming. And my family has been your slave for 40 years, and you want to know what? Thank God we will be set free. And so Jesus says, you go find that poor and the crippled. The poor can't do anything. They're not going to be able to invite you back. They have nothing to feed you with. They, don't, they probably don't even have a house. You remember lots of Jesus' parables talk about people who get paid by their daily wage. You remember that? If you, missed, you miss a day's wage, 
It's not like you got a bank. You don't have Walmart to go to. You don't have Kroger's that you can go shop at at the end of the day. If you don't get your daily stuff, your family doesn't eat on that day. And so Jesus says, I want you to get the poor. They'll never be able to pay you back. I want you to get the crippled. You know what? What are they going to do? They're going to cost you. You're going to invite them, and then you're going to have to feed them, and then you're going to have to move them around. Then you're going to have to make them comfortable. The crippled, I want you to go get them. And I want you to get the blind. The blind, I'm telling you, oh, my goodness. And these people are all worse than that dude with the dropsy. And then I want you to find that dude who's the lame man. And the servant said, you know, we've already done this. You didn't even have to tell us. We know you so well, master, that we didn't even have to wait for you to tell us to do this. And I want you to notice that because most time in Church of Christ, we think we have to be commanded to do something before we do something. Well, this, this servant didn't wait to get a command because that's how grace works. Jubilee works because this slave understood how Jubilee works. I don't need you to tell me to be kind. We already went out. And so now the master said, well, you know, go get everybody else. I want you to go find the riffraff. I want you to go find those transients. That's who these are. Go find the transients, the people who are here and here, and tomorrow they're down there. And notice what it says, I want you to compel. That's a good word, isn't it? I want you to compel them to come eat at my table. Obviously, he's got the power to compel. And then he says, for I tell you, none of those people who were invited, those people who had, they had the resources to go buy oxen. They had the resources to go buy property. Those people, just like Jesus' mother said in Luke chapter 1, Jesus, first of all, he is mimicking his mom. Number two, he is teaching Old Testament theology 101. My job is jubilee. And if you are going to come and follow me, then that's what we will do too. Jubilee, it's what's for dinner. Jesus' mission has never been this uh, uh, ethereal, pie-in-the-sky-when-you-die type stuff. Jesus' mission for his family, those who dare to call him Messiah, is that we will surrender our stuff for the good of others. It doesn't, one of the great themes in Leviticus chapter 25, I don't know when the last time you read that, but it says, you know, this property is not yours. And this is how Israel is taught to, to see themselves all through the Hebrew Bible. You are resident aliens. The property is mine. It's mine. That's why you cannot sell it, because it's mine. Now, we've said that all along, ever since I can remember. I've always heard somebody say, you know, the Lord has just blessed us, and we are but stewards of his stuff. Ever heard anything quite like that? Well, that's not just a saying, brothers and sisters. That, in fact, is the case. It is not mine. 
And the reason that we have it just like this person who is hosting Jesus that particular day is so that you and I can be Jesus, that is jubilees, in their life. Now, I can't do everything under the sun, but I can tell you one thing. Uh, In the United States, 37.2 million people live below the poverty line in the United States. 37,200,000 people. That is 3.5 million more than in 2019. And I don't know if you know what the poverty line is, but maybe you don't. So for a person that is a single person like myself, the poverty line in the United States is $12,800 a year. Can you imagine that? For a a family of two, the poverty line in the United States is $17,420 a year. And we got 37.2 million people below it. And number three, if you got three people in your family, the poverty line in the United States of America is $21,960 a year. A family of four, the poverty line. This is straight out of, this, this is what they use. $26,500 a year. And we got 37,200,000 people in the United States who live below that. Jubilee is very concrete. Jesus fed the poor. Jesus set the captives free. Jesus denied himself for the sake of others. And when we believe in God's mission... That's what we do too. We thank God that he has set me free because that's what he has done, amen? He has set me free. And when we are free, we are free indeed. And when we believe and understand what this is, I am not a slave to my property. It's not my property. I'm not a slave to my riches. It's not my riches. I'm not a slave to the things that I have. Instead, if we believe the Jubilee is what's for dinner, we are a slave to love. A slave to love. Are you all with me? Well, I'm not sure if this is what you were looking forward to today, but this is what I'm preaching. Because this is what Jesus taught And this doesn't end, and this is a major theme in the Gospel of Luke. In fact, it goes on in the book of Acts. Jubilee is the definition of what salvation looks like in the Bible. God will take those who have none, and he is making them kings and queens. And God is going to take those who have everything in this world And he's going to take it away. 
Now, you think of all the stories Jesus tells in the Gospel of Luke. You get the rich man and Lazarus. You remember that one? On and on and on and on, you find the same thing over and over and over, and every one of them are jubilee stories. What does God want the church to do? He wants us to be salt. He wants us to be light. He wants us to be leaven of another world where we shine that jubilee right here. I cannot fix everybody's life, but we can be jubilee to someone. Amen.